Well, glory. Isn't God good? Y'all got to be better than that. Isn't God good? He's worthy of our praise and our worship. Amen and amen. What a great text we have before us this morning, and I, I want to say to you guys, it has been my privilege to endeavor in the study of Psalm 62. Now, I can say a few things about Lewis because I are his daddy, amen? One thing I know for certain is that he loves God, he loves his word, and he loves his church. And because of that, he makes sure those who come and stand behind this sacred desk fulfill the obligation of following through and teaching the Word of God. Folks, you don't know what a treasure that is. Amen? Now, this means yes, and this means no, where I come from, all right? And I'm an old country boy. I'm not as educated as Lewis. Uh, we used to plow them old mules in the garden, and you had to talk to them, amen? And as you talk to them, they, they work better. And the more you talk, the better they work, and the faster they plowed. So if you want to get through today, you might want to learn to talk to me, amen? But as we think about the psalm, 62 and David setting the preface and the understanding that life is difficult. Now, I don't know if you've lived long enough, some of you probably haven't, but the majority of you, by looking across the congregation, have lived long enough to realize that life is preplexed. There's difficulties around every corner. As the old saying is, you're either going into a storm, coming out of a storm, or you looking on the arising of a storm. And life, at best, seems to be so unfair. But you know, as we look at this passage of Scripture, and as David tries to help settle our soul, that we need to realize and we need to understand, if there's one thing that we must do, if we're going to survive in the world we live in and the difficulties we face, we must know there's one and one alone who we can go to through all our trials, all our troubles, all our tribulations, our problems, God can solve. You know, I believe that's why Paul reminds, or Peter reminds us in 1 Peter 5, 7, that we can cast our cares on the Lord because He cares for you. I'm here to tell you there's no one that will care for you like Christ Himself. Amen? And David lays the foundation in this psalm that no matter what the tribulation is, nor the problem, God alone, He cares for you, but not only does He care, He will see you through your storm. You see, I hope and pray today as we unwrap this passage of Scripture that we will all leave from here today with the understanding that when, when things seem to be rough for us, God's still in control. Amen? And I'm so thankful for that. Psalm 62, as we begin to read, it says, The, the choir master, according to Jedith, a psalm of David, for God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him? Like a leaning wall, a tottering fence. They only pan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehoods. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. Salah. For God alone, O oh, my soul, waits in silence, for my hope is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. O oh, God, my rest, my salvation, and my glory, my rock, are my mighty rock, my refuge in God, trusting Him all the time. O oh, people, pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. Those of low estate but are but a breath. 
Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances, they go up, and they are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in exhortation, set no vain hopes in robberies, or extortion rather. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God. And that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love, for you will render to a man according to his works. Lord, again, we do thank you for the privilege and the opportunity that you give to us today together in your house with your people. Father, it's our prayer that these words leap from the pages of this Bible to the depth of our soul to forever change us. That, God, we would have confidence and trust in you and you alone. And no matter what the day brings, we know who holds the day. And no matter the troubles and the trials, Father, we know who can calm the storm. And so, Lord, we look to you, the author and the finisher of our faith today, to take your word, use it in our lives to settle our soul in unsettled days. And, Father, we'll be careful to give you the praise, to give you the glory, and to give you the honor. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. In Psalm 62, uh, David is experiencing some very, uh, seems to be unjust attacks, and he feels threatened by his enemies. They are wanting to topple him. They're wanting to take him down. And so David knows no other counsel but God. But we see that David counsels his own soul with the very understanding of who God is. Folks, listen, I want us to realize and to know again, as I said earlier, we face fears and anxieties, and it seems to sometimes to topple us, to take us down, or to take us off track. But we need to learn to trust in the Lord. David, again, reminds us that he's waiting in silence. And folks, this is a key feature. David's not to the point that he is so distraught about what's going on that he doesn't rest his soul in the Lord. You see in these passages of Scripture, we, we see the psalmist, or this psalm is broken into three stanzas, and two of those end with the word of Selah. And we'll see in a moment that David had to quieten his own soul because sometimes we get so anxious about what's going on, we have to step back, take a breath, and see where God is at work. My Old Testament professor, Dr. J.W. Lee, has gone on to be with the Lord, but he told us in this psalm it could contain what they call a chism. This is a reputation of a, of a similar ideal, and it reverses itself in sequences. In other words, it's a literary device that's intended to draw the reader's attention to some key emphasis and statements in this passage of Scripture. If this is a chism, then what we see and we understand is that there are a parallel between point A, point B, point C, and then he goes all the way back from C or from B to A. And so, in other words, what David is trying to help us understand is this. We must have confidence in God. Folks, I don't know about you, but I've lost confidence in Washington, D.C. a long time ago. Matter of fact, I've about lost all confidence in any politician. But I haven't in my God. The last I checked, he's still on the throne. He's still in charge. And folk, I get a registered letter every morning when I open up and read this Bible. Amen. You see my old Bible? It's kind of tattered. My son says, Dad, why don't you get another one? I don't want another one. I can tell this and to turn to, and it'll go right there. Amen. I had one Bible one time. I had it sent back so many times to be bound. The last time they sent it back, they told me uh, I can't do anything else for it. It's done. It's toast. And my youth group bought me a T-shirt, and the T-shirt said, A Bible that is falling apart is evident of a life that's not. And so what do we need to be in these days of difficulty? We need to be Bible thumpers that we can walk away with the confidence that God is still in charge. The other part that I believe we'll see is that corrupt people can't be trusted. 
Well, crooked people are always going to be crooked. Matter of fact, I know some crooked people that are so crooked they'll be screwed in the ground when they're buried. Amen? And so we look back again at Psalms chapter 62, 5 through 8, and David again reminds us that God alone saves. In other words, when our times of trouble arise, God will deliver us. Now, it doesn't mean that God will deliver us out of the storm or the trouble or the trials, but God will deliver us through those times of trouble. I don't know about you, but I can only speak for myself in 38 years of ministry. I've had several trials that I've been delivered through. And on the other side, I've been more confident than I was when I began the journey and the process of going through those trials. And then Psalm 62, 9 through 10, again, he reminds us, crooked people can't be trusted. And then the latter part in verses 12 through 11, he reminds us again, have confidence in God. Folk, I'm here to remind us today, there's no one that can care for us like God. And so again, Psalm 62, 1 provides the introduction to us, that is for the choir director, according to Jonathan. And so again, he introduces this psalm and reminding us again that God alone is my soul who waits in silence. I love this. I love this because David is given his own self counsel. You know, it's amazing David didn't go to see Oprah Winfrey. He didn't go to Dr. Spock or Dr. Phil or Dr. Commentary. He went to Jesus. He went straight to the throne. He went straight to the Father. And he began to settle his soul with the fact of who God was. You see, folks, so many times our trials are trying to take us off focus. And it's not allowing us to see the goodness of our God in all things. I don't know about you, but Psalms 119.68 is one of my favorite scriptures in the old text. And it says this, God is good. That's all I need to know. That's enough for me to shout, to stand on and sing for the glory of God during the midst of our trials and our tribulations. And so again, David opens up this psalm and he talks about his soul waiting in silence. Now, we really don't know the background of this. Uh, if you read commentaries, you'll come away with all sorts of, uh, of understanding. Uh, but for the fact of the matter, I believe this is a psalm that stems from his trouble with his son Absalom. But again, it doesn't matter. It's trouble in David's life. So many times we fail to seek the counsel of God and we try to look for the consolation of our own soul and our own doing. But here David says, my soul waits in silence for God only. That's a definite but when your emotions are mixed and stirred and you begin to look toward others than God, many times you make the wrong decision. If I ask us this morning to raise our hands in all honesty, when you've counseled your own soul without the Word of God, have you made some terrific mistakes? <laughs> but when you counsel your soul with the Word of God, you come away with a solid foundation that God alone will see you through. And so again, he focuses on the very person of who God is, and He is His deliverer. So scripturally, believers, you and I are virtuous, not by chance, but by choice. In every trial you face, you have a choice. You can be better or you can be bitter. You can grow in your understanding of God or you can distance yourself from God. Now, don't get super spiritual on me uh, because I know all of you have been there before when you've looked at God and said, okay, God, if you are God, then why is this happening to me? 
You know, Lord, I've pastored for 36 years. Why do I go through these trials? Lord, I've pastored for 40 years. Why do I go through these trials? Listen, trials make us stronger. Trials prove our faith. And so here we see David speaks to his own soul and to his own disposition as he's troubled, and he is waiting in silence. Here the Hebrew word, which I'm going to save myself embarrassment, but I can tell you the definition of it, amen? That's the difference between a smart Ph.D. guy and an old plowboy preacher, amen? But listen, what it, what it gives us is the word picture, and it denotes that there's a quietness, there's a rest, there's a repose, and David is patiently waiting. Something most of us don't have anymore. Matter of fact, we're so impatient, we stomp our foot at the microwave now. Amen. Don't look at me like you hadn't done that. And it ought not take a minute and 45 seconds to pop a bag of popcorn. Come on, man. Now, what does that have to do with Psalm 62? Nothing. But, folks, the bottom line is this so many times. We are not patient as we wait on the Lord and we take the situation in our own hand and guess what we do? We make it a bigger mess than what it already is. And so David is waiting on the Lord and several times through this psalm, David cries out and he repeats the phrase, only. You see, this appears as a retractive particle and it shows his complete reliance on God. As I said, we've seen a lot of things in our world, but I can tell you one thing. We better get back to the point and the place to where we're waiting on God because our world, as the old country preacher said, is headed to hell in a handbasket. But you and I are to be a residual, someone who stands in the gap with patience, waiting as God is long-suffering and patient. And so again, he says, my soul waits. And he goes on and he says, he is only my rock and my salvation, and my soul waits in silence. Boy, silence is a commodity today, isn't it? Amen? Not a whole lot of that going on. But he reminds us again, he is my only rock, my only salvation. And what David is saying is, in essence, he is the one that will deliver me. Folk, when deliverance is needed, we have to trust God to deliver in His timing. His days are not our, or His ways are not our ways, His thoughts are not our thoughts. God's timetable is not our timetable. And so ever how long God deems necessary for us to patiently wait on him to deliver us, we need to be willing to wait. Scripture says, wait on the Lord and he shall renew you with wings of eagles. But listen, this is not meaning that you go find your cool place in the shade and sit down because God's out of breath trying to keep up with you. Amen. So God doesn't run short of breath. He knows where we are at all times. And so again, David is reminding us that we must understand and we must be positive in our tribulations and our trials that we can wait on the Lord. He is our fortress and he shall not be greatly shaken. Do you know God never gets caught off guard? Now, I want to blow all your minds in here because still, I still haven't worked it out in mind. Do you know God never has a thought? Boy, y'all looking at me like a calf looking at a new gate. Some of you ain't been farmers, have you? <coughs> God never has a thought. You know why? He knows all things. Smoke on that one a while. Think about it and see. And let God speak to you through that. And so what we need to realize is because of that, we can trust God that he's working his good work in us. 
and he will bring it to completion. He talks about men of a low degree, only their vain, their vanity. And so this literally means that you need to realize and understand regardless of a man's social status, we need not to trust in them because they're inadequate at their best, but God never fails. He talks about being confident in God, not, be, not being greatly shaken. In other words, David is saying, don't let these things demoralize you. You stand firm. You get a backbone like a saw log and you stand up and you face the adversity with the assurance that God alone will deliver you. So David is saying, don't allow the trials and the tribulations and the attacks of men to demoralize you, but you stand strong in your resolve that God will see you through. So we need to learn to relax in the Lord. Amen. We need to learn to trust God in all things. And so briefly in verse number three, David turns his focus uh, to his attackers again, and he asks this question, how long will you attack a man to batter him? Some translation says to murder him, all of you, like a leaning wall, like a tottering fence. And so the question again of how long is a trial to last is often on the lips of the psalmist. Many times in many scriptures in Psalm 62 or Psalms 2, uh, or 13, 1 through 2, and in Psalms 35, 17, you'll see those questions, how long? It seemed to occupy David's mind. Well, I do know this. The trial will last ever how long it takes for you to learn the lesson. I can tell you when you jump ship too quick, guess what? The trial will be waiting when you get back aboard. And so he says, listen, it's like a leaning wall, a tottering fence. Now, some of the commentaries say that this uh, refers to the enemy. Some say it refers to David himself. And I seem to lean toward the laddering because David is distressed. He's distraught. And he seems to be allowing the attacks to take an effect on him. Have you ever seen a person who goes through the trials of life without the assurance that God's with them? Have you ever seen how it demoralizes them and all of a sudden their countenances change? A lot of them become mentally sick, unhealthy. And so what David is saying to these guys in essence is, you look at me like I'm a leaning wall or tottering fence that all it's going to take is one breath to blow me over, but you're not seeing who's holding me up. God and God alone. So you're not only fighting against me, but you're fighting against God, who is my strength and who is my deliverer and who will see me through in these trials, in these tribulations. I like what one of the commentaries say when he talks about this, how long will these attacks last? It says that, that it could be that these guys were trying to mentally uh, demoralize David and they were shouting at him continually, throwing verbal abuses toward David. But David did not allow those to overwhelm him. You know the old saying, sticks and stones shall break my bones, but words shall never harm me. That is a lie, but there is a truth in that if your resolve is in the Lord. You know, I've said this, and sometimes my wife says that's because you might be a little bit on the arrogant side. Well, I don't want to call it arrogant. I just want to call it assurance. As long as I know the truth, they can line up miles behind me and say what they want to say, act like they want to act, and it's not going to affect me one bit. I'm going to keep doing what God's called me to do. I'm going to keep living as God's called me to live. And folk, you need to have that resolve too because I'm telling you, the enemy's real. He's relentless. 
But if you don't have that fortitude and that strong understanding of who you are in Christ, you will begin to let them deter you and distract you and take you off course. And God has already set us in a race. It's a marathon, it's not a sprint. And so we must keep our prize on the mark of the high calling, which is in Christ Jesus, amen? And not let those things that bother us and take us off the track. And so I would encourage you, as well as I encourage myself, don't listen to all of the murmurs. Listen to God, because he can settle your soul. He can give you what you need in these times of troubles and in these times of misunderstandings. And so listen, we must learn. We must learn to trust in God in all things. Psalms 121 says, I lift up my eyes to the hills from where my help comes. My helper comes from the Lord who has made the heaven and the earth. So David does not look to creation, but he looks to the creator. And this is what he's doing in this psalm. He's looking to the creator. No matter what the attacks may be, no matter the falsehood that's come in his way, David is steadfast in his resolve that God alone is able to deliver him. Now when you get to verse number uh, 5, uh, or at the end of verse number four, you see the word Salah. They tell us this could be a musical refrain by which you sit down and take a break. I think what David is trying to reveal to us through this and the Spirit of the Lord is sometimes you just need to sit down and take a deep breath. It's relaxing. All you ever do is focus on the battle, man. You're going to be weary. When you learn to sit down and take a deep breath and trust in the Lord, I'm telling you, God will give you strength like you have never experienced before. And so David recognizes. He recognizes there's evil people and they're trying to thrust him down and they're trying to take his position. They want to overthrow him. And you know, as you think about this passage of Scripture, listen to what he says in verse 4. They only plan to thrust you down from the high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless you with their mouth, but inwardly they curse. <laughs> I've stood at the back door before, shaking hands with people. And boy, they say, man, best, best message I ever heard, preacher. Keep it up. Go to the restaurant down the street, And you overhear a conversation, and you're one of the sorriest people that ever has took a breath on planet Earth. Amen? I've stood at the back door, too, not knowing whether to duck or pucker. Because when you preach your truth, folks, listen, it sets you free. But as my old black preacher, Rochester Johnson, used to say, it'll make you mad as a devil for it do, though. And so, again, David is trying to help us to understand when these things are taking place and this type of warfare is happening in your life, don't put your trust in man. Because, listen, in their mouths, they will bless you and curse you at the same time. But guess who won't? Guess who's not double-tongued in any way? And that's God and God alone. And so we have to have a resolve again to look to the Lord and not look on the outward things that are taking place, but trust in God. Five through eight, David's aware of his enemies and their tactics that they're employing, but he gives wise counsel again to his own soul. You know, the old saying is, it's, it's not bad to talk to yourself, but it's bad to answer yourself. David doesn't say that. David talks to himself and he answers himself with the understanding of who God is and what God can do in the midst of all of his trials. He said, my soul waits in silence, for God is my hope. 
So there's a little self-talking going on in the life of David, and he's trying to be his own biblical counselor. You know, isn't it amazing that we turn everywhere else before we turn to the Lord? Boy, you, you can go in my son's office, and I walked back there a while ago. There, if he tells you he's read every one of those books, you tell him his daddy said, ain't no way. <laughs> books are good. But the book is better. There's no situation in life that you will ever encounter that this book will not give you the answer. And so David again counsels his own soul with the understanding of who God truly Yes. Goes on. And David reminds us that we need to make sure that we do not become fearful and fretful, but we remain faithful. That's the three P's in the poem they taught us in homiletics. Fearful, faithful, and fretful. Oh, God wants us to be steadfast unmovable, unshakable. No matter what the enemy throws at us. You know, we sing the old Baptist national anthem. You know what that is? I shall not be, I shall not be moved. In one sense, we know that. But in the other sense, it should be true. There should be nothing that takes you off course in your relationship with the Lord God Almighty. There should be nothing that shipwrecks your walk with the Lord when your confidence is in God. And I can tell you there are a lot of things out there that try to shipwreck our relationship. But I can remind us and myself when we remain faithful in God alone, and wait in silence on God alone, then, folk, we remain constant and steadfast in our relationship with God. Do you know adversity is real? All of us go through it. Some just deal with it better than others. But David, again, Sounds like he doesn't have much else to say other than for God alone. But do you know anything better to say when your troubles and your trials are real? God alone. My soul waits in silence. He's my hope. He's my only rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God Rest my salvation, my glory, my right, my mighty rock, and my refuge is God. Trust in Him at all times. That word all in the Hebrew means the same in the English. All. A-L-L. Not sometimes. Not when times are going well but in all times, good and bad. Trust in God. Sometimes we just have to get away and let our minds stay focused on who God is. That's why Isaiah 26, 3 says, those who keep their mind up on the Lord, He keeps them in what? Perfect peace. Not just peace, but perfect peace. And somewhere along the way, guys, we need to learn to do that. You know, I, and I please understand me as a pastor. Me and Brother Travis were talking just a moment ago, and, and congratulations on your journey uh, into biblical counseling and helping. We need that. But you know what? There's some times along the way when you as an individual need to just grow up in Christ and counsel your own soul with the Word of God. And so David does this. 
And he is assured that God's going to be with him and God's going to be his strength. God's going to be his fortress. All of these terms that he's using is making himself aware of who God is. Can I ask us a question today? When's the last time you sat down and counseled your own soul about who God is in your life? I can tell you what, when you learn to do that, no matter what comes nor goes, you will stand firm in your belief in what God is able to do. And so David, again, looks to God. He understands that God, again, is his stronghold. And he reminds himself, as well as his enemies, I will not be shaken. Say what you say. Do what you do, but it's not going to affect me. I can tell you through some of the most difficult journeys, that which man meant for evil, God turned it for good. Because those moments will drive you deep. Into the Word of God. And I can tell you, when you go deep with God, God will give you a backbone like a saw log. And he'll give you an understanding that I am with you. Now, folks, listen to me. Please hear me carefully. If you're not standing with God, don't try to counsel yourself that God is standing with you because that's an oxymoron. doesn't go together. But I'm here to tell you and to remind you according to what David says, when you take your stand on the right side with God, then you can trust that God will stand with you and you can trust in him at all times. And then in the closing verses, in contrast to God and who is able to save those who trust him, David advises his audience now to take place and to place their ultimate confidence in God, but not people and riches. David says, men of low degree are only vanity, and a man of rank are a lie. And in the balance they go off, and they're together lighter than breath. So here David speaks of a man's low degree as being vanity, meaning they have no substance or character or anything to stand on. They're puffed up. They like wind. They hear and gone. And men of rank are a lie, he said. Of rank are a lie, meaning they are an illusion. They're not really what they appear to be. Have you ever met some folk like that? Where I come from, we had an old saying to those people, if I could buy you for what you're worth and sell you for what you think you're worth, we both could retire. <laughs> Self-value sometimes gets you in trouble, amen? And so David is saying, look, don't, don't put your trust in men. It doesn't matter how wealthy they are. Wealth can come and wealth can go. I'm working for a guy now, uh, helping him redo his house. David Gaspard is his name. And I asked David if I could use this. And he said, sure. David is a self-made millionaire, if there's such a thing. He had the love of money. He pursued it with every ounce of his being. His own testimony said he was good at it. If there was a dollar to be made, he could make two. And he pursued that with every ounce of his being. And at the age of 47, he had a massive stroke. He was telling me the other day as we were working, he said, Brother Gary, it's the best thing that ever happened to me. The best. I said, well, Brother David, can you elaborate on that. I mean, I, I like to hear how God's working. He said, well, 
You know, God reminded me that um, I had put things before Him. I had put the lust of riches before a life with God. And God allowed me to accumulate some wealth, but I didn't have happiness. You know, Rockefeller said if he had all the money in the world but the last dollar, he said he'd sell his soul to the devil for that last dollar. But he said, Brother Gary, since my stroke, he said, I can tell you I'm enjoying life. He said, I'm doing things that I wanted to do, but I wouldn't allow the pursuit of money to allow me to do so. He said, I'm helping people. I'm ministering to people. And uh, if you know David and Pam and I know David, he has David's appliances. And, and uh, if anybody would rip you off, it would have been David Gaspard. But now things have changed. And he said, I no longer trust in things. I no longer look to things for my provision, but I look to God. And through God's provision in my life, I'm able to help others now because my focus is on God. And guess what his next words were? God alone. I said, hmm. Sort of sounds like Psalm 62. And so what I'm saying to you and what David is saying to us is we need to have confidence in God, not in what man may say or how man may think they can help us out, but we are to trust in God and God alone. Not our own abilities, but in what God can do through us when we put God first and foremost in our lives. So this is what David's saying. He said in the balance, they go up. They are together lighter than breath. In other words, when judgment comes, uh, guess who will show the truth? God. He says, put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set your heart on them. <laughs> Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God. And that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love, for you will render to a man according to his works. You know what David is saying to us in these final verses? Is that what God said once, he said again. I think about Jonah. Where did God tell Jonah to go? Where did Jonah go? He headed toward the wrong direction, didn't he? They threw him overboard. A fish swallowed him up. Jonah was so rotten, he made the fish sick in his stomach. A fish threw him back up. Jonah got back on dry land. And guess what God told him? Go to Nineveh. <laughs> what God said once, He said twice. Folks, I'm here to tell you God doesn't change His mind based on our circumstances and our situation. What God has said to us in the, in the happy times of our life will be the same thing God says to us in our difficult times. I'm able. Trust me. I will be able to deliver you. So again, David is trying to help us realize in this day and age which you and I live, it's vitally important that you learn the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2 says, In these final days God has spoken to us through His Son Jesus Christ. Folk, there are no new revelations. Matter of fact, I don't want to go to a church that says there's new revelations that we have from God. I've got one that's over 2,000 years have been tried true and have been proved to be trustworthy. I will stand on this book. And I promise you it will hold me up. It will hold you up. And in this day and age which you and I live in, folk, we need to look to God more than we've ever because I'm here to remind us difficult days are coming 
There's some here, but they're going to get worse until the Lord returns. Matter of fact, he likens the day of the return of the Lord as a woman having a baby. And those labor pains intensify. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I was in there when my wife was having, whoo, mercy. I don't want those pains. But they're going to be difficult times, guys. And there's going to be days when we're going to totally have to trust and rely on God and God alone to provide for us what we need in this world that you and I live. So we've been promised by the Word of God that we can trust Him. And so here it is in a basket. The confidence that David has is not in David. It's in God. He was a king, man. (laughs) He was a ruler. He, He could have summoned anybody to come and to go and to fight his battle. David understood that it was far more than a physical. It was a spiritual battle raging in the heart of David. Folk, in every believer, there ought to be some type of spiritual battle that we're raging and we're contending with in our own life because, you see, we've not yet arrived. But what I can tell you is I know for certain that when we fight the battle, not in our own strength, but in the strength of the Lord, we will find out that He is our rock, He is our fortress, and He is our deliverer, and He will see us through. You see, there's one thing that I know about God. Do you know God knows you? You you may pull the wool over my eyes and over your preacher's eyes and over your friend's eyes, even over your spouse's eyes and over your children's eyes and over everybody else's eyes, but you will not pull the wool over God's eyes. Because see, God looks at the God's got x-ray vision. He can see through all the mess. And he can see what's real in the heart of man. And David reveals to us when God looks at the heart and he sees a resolve that he alone is able, then we learn to find peace and contentment in life. You see, in this church age that you and I live in, we have hope that we find in the New Testament, Hebrews 13, 5 through 6. The writer of Hebrews, which my son and I differ on, but that's okay. He has a right to be wrong. He says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do. Romans in 8.31, Paul says, For then shall we say to those things that if God be for us, who can be against us? That's when you tell them, it's like Baskin-Robbins, boys, pull you a ticket. The lion's in the rear. Stand. Paul said, when you've done all you can do, stand. Have that resolve that God's with you. And then Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your your reasonableness be made known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplications with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So how do we apply Psalm 62. Trust. We sing an old hymn. 
used to. We don't sing many old hymns anymore. I'm an old timer. May not look like it. I cut my teeth in that hymn book. There's a hymn that says, Trust and Obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. So my question to you is this. In your trials, in your tribulation, are you trusting? And may I answer that question with this? You know you're trusting when you're obeying the Word of God. What God's Word says, I will do. So my question to you this morning, where you are, God knows, you know, but are you willing today to remove self? That's a hard thing to do, isn't it? Self thinks it has the right idea and the right answer. You just ask my wife, amen? Folks, that's not a fact. Only when we allow God and God alone can we walk away with the same resolve that David did. That I will stand firm in the unshakable foundation and the riches of who God is and God alone. Will you stand? Brother Travis, will you come? Father, again, we want to thank you for the day. I want to thank you for the opportunity that's been given to me today to preach your word. Thank you for these people and their patience and their endurance. But not, Father, I now pray that the Holy Spirit of God will take control. Or as I say often, I've done all you've asked me to do, and now it's on you. Remove us from ourselves. Put ourselves before a holy God and make us aware not only of who we are, but whose we are in Christ. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.